we're going to finish 10 today, and we're going to do uh, chapter 11 probably over the next two weeks uh, before we get to chapter 12. Chapter 12 represents quite a transition in the book of Romans. And I would encourage you to go and read ahead. Read to the rest of the chapter, actually, uh, or the rest of the book. There's only a few chapters remaining. And uh, we'll try to give you a, a big picture of what Paul is doing with this letter. Remember, it's a letter, a letter to churches, a church particular in Rome, but meant to be shared with other churches. It wasn't a, a, a book of theology, although it contains some of the richest theology that you can find in the New Testament. But what it does tell us is that Paul cared deeply for his people, and so should we. And so let's learn what we can from Romans. I'm going to read from the 14th verse on to the end of the chapter. It's printed in your bulletin in the New Living Translation, which is a very simple paraphrase. It has been checked by your pastor to make sure it's accurate. Uh, and, uh, and any corrections, I'll make them during the sermon. But let's read from 14 on. Now hear God's word. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless, if they have never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news, for Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. But I ask you, have the people of Israel actually heard the message? Yes, they have. The message has gone out throughout the earth and the words to all the world. But I ask you, did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. For even in the time of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. And later, Isaiah spoke very boldly for God, saying, I was found by people who were not looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. But regarding Israel, God said, All day long I have opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. This is the word of the Lord. What Paul is getting at through much of his letter, but here he's drawing the focus down. He's wanting us to look very closely at several things we're going to talk about. You must believe in Jesus Christ. Faith has content. There's something that you're to believe. You can't just believe in anything no matter how sincere your faith may be, if you place it in the wrong object, it means nothing. Absolutely nothing. 
I can want this music stand, uh, uh, and if you notice, it's a conductor stand. It's not just cheap, cheap, junky music stands like these guys use. No way. This is a conductor stand, and it's firm and solid, and you can believe all you want that this (laughs) conductor stand will make you an orchestra conductor, and it won't. But go to school. Learn music. Find that gift that God's giving you, that gift, and put yourself into it and trust that, and you can become a conductor. You see, your faith is only as good as the object. And Paul's trying to get Christians in Rome and everywhere else to focus, bring their eyes down to the person and work of Jesus Christ plus nothing. No merit, no good works, even your sincerity. Although they all matter and are are incredibly important, they can contribute nothing to salvation. And so in the 10th chapter, he's talking about 9, 10, and 11. He's talking about Israel, the nation. But behind it, he's talking about people throughout generations who have believed. And he's using Israel as an emblematic uh, feature so that we can look at them. Look at what people that have known God, have lived under the law of God, completely devoted. In fact, their whole life was regulated in the Old Testament by God's Word. And yet even they faced these problems that we face. And so in in 1 through 3, this is just a review quickly of chapter 10. Verses 1 through 3, Paul talks about the human and, is, and, and the Hebrew project of self-salvation. Self-salvation, saving yourself. And here's what they did. They longed in their heart. They were, were zealous, but misdirected zeal. And Paul expressed, I'm longing in my heart that they would be saved, but... It's hard for them to come to God because they are so self-righteous, self-centered. And it's not to say that they were 100% self-centered. Nobody is. Even the worst narcissist in the world is not 100% self-interested. But there's enough, and some some of us it's a lot, and some of it's a little, But it's still there in every human being, this project of self-salvation. I'm going to do it myself. It is going to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, looking at it and saying, I will have some. And I will save myself. I will be like God. That's the story of Genesis 1 through 3. Then there's God's salvation. This is found in verse 4. It's not work. It's not merit. It's based on the work and the merit and the life of another, both his active living and his passive death, his obedience. Verse 4 says, Christ accomplished the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to show us a holy God and how human beings can relate to that God, which we failed at. We're going to talk about that in a second. But Jesus did fulfill. He fulfilled the law. He obeyed the law. He did everything 100% 
according to the will of God. And he said, Father, I only do what pleases you. No human being has ever been able to say that. None of us can say that, no matter how good our intentions may be. In verse 5, Paul explains something impossible. Moses said, the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. In other words, you know, we can say, well, you know, I told a little white lie over here, but that's okay. Well, that's okay with you, of course, but it's not okay with God that we lie. It's not okay with Him that we steal. It's not okay with Him that we do a, a, a number of things that we seem to think are okay. And what He's wanting from us is to, to, to repent and believe the gospel about those laws. And so, then He gives us in 6-10 through 10 something possible. Here's what you can say, and He goes through this It's really marvelous what he's doing. We can't take time. Don't say you'll go up to heaven and bring Christ down. Don't go in the ground to bring him up. He's right next to you. He's near to you as your breath. The message is close on your lips, in your heart. That if you openly declare Jesus Christ is my king and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. It's as close as your breath. It's not hard for us. Hard for him. It was hard for him. Took his life. Not hard for us to turn to him and receive him and openly declare, I am yours. You are mine. My life is yours, not mine. The playing out of that will be hard. We'll get to that probably in chapter 12. You'll see what he's talking about. And finally, it's not faith in your faith. Quit doing the Christian thing and saying, I don't have faith. Uh, or my faith is not strong enough. Or I need more faith. Or I need to exercise my faith muscle so that it gets strong. That's faith in faith. But to have faith in Christ is to put yourself in front of Him, with Him, in Him, Trusting Him completely at the expense of everything else. You look at verses 11 through 13. Anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. And everyone who calls on Him will be saved. Faith in Jesus. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, it could be one day, could be uh, uh, it, you know, 50 years, could be... Like me, 50 years this year. I will have been a Christian for 50 years. Um, a, a lousy one, but uh, <laughs> a Christian nevertheless. Faith in Christ is going to set you on a journey, a reorienting, listen, a reorienting of all of your life, everything in your life. We, we do not, in this church, we do not teach that you are to uh, place God at the top, and then number two is your, uh, your family, and number three is your church, and number four is your work, and number five. That is a bad uh, uh, diagram of life. Better diagram is Jesus Christ is at the center of your life, and everything flows from that. No matter what it is, it is all feeding from that strong hub 
of faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul and the other apostles in the Old Testament throughout draws that picture of a life that is wholly consecrated, holy, when I say holy, not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O, all of you entirely consecrated to God. It's a journey. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take probably, not probably, it will take, all the way to your last breath. When you're taking, gasping your last breath, hopefully that last breath will be, have mercy on me, the sinner. Not a sinner, the sinner. Have mercy on me, the sinner. That's our last breath. He will have mercy. Why? Because he's merciful, not because of our good works. Do you see, folks, where Paul has taken us? Ten chapters now. And so I want to give you very quickly, and we'll do this uh, fast, but not too, not too fast. I'm going to give you three things. First, we're going to look at where he goes. He's going to go now to uh, the constellation, what I'm calling the constellation of saving faith. What is saving faith made up of? What is that constellation that contributes to saving grace? And then secondly, the content, the object that God is asking us to look at as the object of that saving faith. What is it? It's not you. It's not your good works. It's not how much money you give to the church, although... It will help you. No, no, it won't. You all know that. There's nothing, there's nothing in our hands we bring simply to your cross we cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Foul to the fountain I fly. Cleanse me, Jesus, or I die. See, we don't bring anything to Jesus Christ. He brings it to us. And all we do is fall down at his knees and say, I will obey you to the cost of my life. Everything is on the table. Everything. You want to defeat addiction in your life? You want to defeat the, the anger or the rage or the, the, the racism that some of us have in our hearts? You want, to, you want to get rid of something that's just plaguing you and bringing you into slavery? You want to do that? You have to die. You can't wound it. It has to be killed. And the only way you can kill it is by nailing it to a cross. And the only cross that's worthy of you is the one who died for you. His cross. And the more you orient yourself around that, saving faith becomes something that is, it's magic. I don't mean magic like the world uses magic, it becomes, it becomes amazing and un, un, incredible at the way your life can transform. It's going to go way too slow. It's going to take time. You're going to have setbacks. And yet, the promise is I will never leave you. I will be there with you on the journey to the end when you close your eyes in death, I will send my angels. They will come and gather you up to me. 
because of my faithfulness to you. Never, and in no part, your faithfulness to him. Uh, a loud amen would be, amen. Let's just get wild here this morning, Christ the King. So there's content to the gospel, and finally, the danger of presuming and excusing. I don't know why people are well. I do know why. I've told you it's from Genesis chapter 3. It's ingrained in our nature. It's part of our DNA. It's our hard wiring to deny, 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 to hide from God, to blame shift, to do all these things that we do. We'll take a look at how Paul addresses that. So very quickly, look at verses 14 and 15 in your text. This is the constellation of saving faith. Paul is going to go through a series of, of rhetorical questions. He's going to ask questions that the answer is obvious in the question. Okay? So he's not asking for information. He's asking to open your presuppositions and Israel's presupposition and everybody else, anybody else that's out there, about saving faith. How can they call on him to save unless they believe in him? You see, God's way is the necessity of faith. Good works are important, and they will flow. They certainly will flow from faith. And if they don't flow from faith, something is wrong, and you need, that's why you're in a church, for goodness sakes. You're there because as you struggle to live the Christian life, you're supposed to be coming to your pastors and getting help. And sometimes we can't help you, so we send you to a doctor. I can't cure cancer, but I know doctors that can, or at least will attempt to do it. I can't heal depression, but I know doctors that can help with depression. I can't fix your marriage, but sometimes a pastor, a counselor, a therapist can help immensely with preserving your marriage. There's many, many ways, but you must be part of a community. Otherwise, you're going to die alone in the wilderness. You're, gonna, you're not going to find water, and you're going to die. Today, in our culture right now, one of the largest growing groups are called ex-evangelicals. They're just dropping out of the faith by droves. And that's because they've been told in their churches that they should have faith in faith. And so, God's way is the necessity of faith in Christ plus nothing. Okay? The second question he asks, how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? Of course, it's obvious. You can't. If you've never heard, you can't believe. See where he's going? God's word, the gospel, is about something that is spoken. It's not just walking out into the, the cool night air and looking at the stars and going, oh my God, dear, whatever's out there, cosmos, so whatever uh, gods, goddesses, him, he, she, it, them, whatever's out there, oh, I feel so good about that. I, 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 I want to be part of that cosmos someday. That's not faith. Faith, saving faith, one of the elements of that consolation is God's word. We call it 
special revelation. We call it the scriptures. We call it the revelation of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. That's what will take you from just being awed and wondering what the meaning is for this beauty and this glory and this goodness and the evil that is in the world. Looking at all that, only the Bible will take you there to the real truth about it, how you can finally address it and start, begin the journey of getting your head around what this world is all about. And then maybe you won't be asking questions like, oh, you know, there's so much evil. Why did God create a world like this? He didn't create the world like this. Paul began his letter saying it, the world's like this because of us. And we better take responsibility for that. God created a good world. We rejected that and have been doing it ever since. You'll see that in a moment. God's word is part of the consolation. God's way is faith in Jesus. How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How will they tell unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of the messengers? In other words, it was a a proverb to say that when a, a messenger brings good news, those feet are beautiful. In the ancient Near East, those of you that have spent time uh, maybe in the, in, the, in, the, uh, uh, in the Near East, you know that the foot, especially the bottom of the foot, is the, the part that you don't ever show anybody. You don't put your feet up and let someone see the soles of your feet. And if you want to dishonor somebody, you take your sandal off like they did to the statue of Saddam Hussein when the, the U.S. Army was pulling it down. The people were crowded around with their sandals and they're hitting the statue of Saddam Hussein. That's the worst thing you can do. Here, the scripture upends that and said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Amazing. Could make a whole sermon out of that, but I, well, I won't do it. Only have like five minutes left. So the other consolation is that their God has messengers, and those messengers, not just Dawson and I, although we are, without doubt, the most important. No. Dawson and I are messengers. Our ruling elders are men. Our women's council. Our deacons. And every single one of you whose lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean you have to be a crazy person and go like R.C. Sproul said. People, you know, come up to me and grab me by the shirt collar and say, "Uh, Brother, are you saved? And R.C. would always tell him, "I, I hope he saves me from people like you. No, it's not that is that again, that constellation of your life, your journey, is one in which you naturally share what the hope you have in you. What is that hope? People should see that we are joyous in times of struggle and also deeply grieved in time of struggle, that we have the ability to image, imago Dei, the image of God. Then in some way, when people see you, even when you're at your worst in your sin, they're seeing somebody that is at least contrite over their sin. But as we'll see in a moment, one of the greatest dangers is presuming on grace. Oh, God will forgive me. I can just go wild and do whatever I want. No. The gospel of grace is the greatest impediment 
to antinomian, what is called antinomianism. I don't have a law. I can do whatever I want. God's grace will make up for every failure that I have. Yes, that's true. But there's more to it than it's not that simplistic. If you understand the grace of God, you're going to understand yourself. And your sins are going to... They're, they're going to if, you don't, if you don't look at them rightly, they will crush you to the ground. They will destroy you. If you look at them rightly, they will bring you, repentance will bring you to God. His kindness will lead you to repentance. But it doesn't mean that our our actions don't matter. And I think this is the greatest tragedy in Protestant world, is you have people in our circles who make so much out of grace that, you know, you can just live any old way you want. And you're not hearing that here, folks. You cannot live any old way you want. Why? Because of Romans chapter 12, one reason. And the greater reason why? Because God is a loving Father and knows that if you do, it will destroy you. Addiction will destroy you. Sin, my friend, I had a friend, a dear friend of mine who was a heroin addict... And he used to tell me years ago, after he came to Jesus, he said, sin will take you farther than you ever imagined. You'll wake up one day in a drunken stupor, in a puddle of vomit. And you'll wonder how you got there. It doesn't happen overnight. It's incremental. It's the frog boiling in the water. Sin is evil. And God hates it. And He sent His Son not to just sprinkle some fairy dust on it, to die for you there. So that sin would not have the ruling or the governing power over you. And if you understand grace, then it becomes the power of God to salvation. Salvation is not just an instant, a moment in time. You get saved and then you go on. Salvation is the rest of your life you're being saved. So God's messengers, those that have been touched by the grace of God, would want to, in in an appropriate way, share their life and their faith with others. And that's all we mean by evangelism or proselytizing or whatever. It's just a matter of sharing. Hey, I've, I've got, this is something that has helped me. I don't know if it'll help. You don't have to, you don't have to force anybody. Just say, this has made a difference. I was in church Sunday and my pastor said that Jesus Christ came and died for me. And you know, that's changing the way I look at death. Every one of your neighbors thinks, is thinking about death probably more than you know. Tell them. Tell them about it. Okay. That's the content. 16 and 17 is the content. Now let's look at this other one. This is unpleasant. I don't like it, but you know what? I'm going to give it to you, and hopefully you'll, you'll listen. When the apostle says in verse 16, he says, but not everyone who welcomes in the, in the uh, NLT, it's welcomes. That's not the best word. The best word is obey, because the word in Greek means to hear under authority. It's a word for hearing, but not just hearing. It's hearing under authority. 
uh, it's like the genie. You know, the genie comes out of the bottle, and what does he tell the, the rubber of the bottle? You guys don't read uh, mythology? Okay, never mind. Your wish is my command. In other words, you speak, I do. This is what the Old Testament, New Testament, the Greek words, the Hebrew words, every single word that talks about hearing means obedience. Not just a little, radical obedience. Radical obedience to God's word. Whatever it is, however it comes. And that radical obedience may take you a long time. It's taken me a long time to be as stellar and obedient as I am. No, I'm obedient about, God's, about the rules that God lays down for us, which are very few. There's ten. And Jesus codified those in two. And his apostle John really said, if you love, if you love God, you will love man. But if you don't love your brother, don't, don't fool yourself into thinking that you love God. Because you don't. You see, if you love him, then it's like the, the prayer that uh, Tim Keller uh, taught all of us. I will go where you send me. I will do what you say. I will go where you send me. I lay the sword of my life at your feet Command me. That's the posture of the Christian. Laying everything at the feet of Jesus and saying, anything you ask, I will do. Anything. And most of the time, what he tells you is, trust me. Just Will you trust me with this? I know your checkbook's empty. I know the doctor gave you bad news. I know your husband, you know, your wife, something's not right in the marriage. I know one of your kids has gone off the rails. Will you trust me? That's what he's asking. I mean, my goodness, folks. But hearing without obedience is not hearing. In fact, it's presumption. And that's what we see in verse 18. Uh, and, and forward. Look at, he uses, uh, he uses Israel, he's speaking specifically about the nation of Israel as it existed at the time of the Apostle Paul. But he's also using the nation of Israel as emblematic for humanity as well because this is also humanity. And listen how he explains really Folks, you, you, when you read the book of Romans and you really get down into it, even at the level I have, which is sort of a high-altitude view, you start to see the majesty of God's Holy Spirit working through this man, Paul. Uh, truly incredible. The, the, the depth and the riches of God's gospel coming out of a man, a heart of a man for us. Truly something. Has Israel actually heard the message? Yes. The message has gone throughout the world. He quotes Isaiah. Did they understand the message? Yes. I'll rouse you to jealousy and your anger through the foolish Gentiles. I was found by a people not looking or not asking for me. What was, what was it that irritated 
ancient Israel? What irritated the Pharisees? What irritates you and I to this very day? At some level, it irritates us that God could be so presumptuous as to make any claims on us and say, you are mine. We're okay with him saying that he is ours. We love that. Oh, God is on my side. We make a lot of that, and that's good. But when he makes a claim on you, and he said, I will do you good, I will make everything good, the only thing I don't want you to do is eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil. I want you to leave that alone because I want you to know good and not evil. Although they may have already known what evil was, they weren't experiencing it in their life. They were living in paradise. And every need that they had was being met. But folks, human beings, we just we want more. More, more, more. Always more. Yes, they heard. Yes, they understood. Yes, they understood. They understood that it is not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. It's trusting God as He has delineated and everything else is not going to work for you. It is going to be a slog through the mud and you'll never be content, never be happy, never be satisfied. It is always being hungry, always being thirsty like those pirates and pirates of the Caribbean in the first one, which was the best one. And Johnny Depp is not a sparrow. I mean, he is Jack Sparrow. Even in real life, Johnny Depp is Jack Sparrow. But when you watch the movie, you see these theological themes rolling around in a Disney film, and you go, what is up with this? The pirates, when the light of the moon shined on them, you could see what they really were. Skeletons who would eat but not taste, who would drink but their thirst was not slacked. And nothing is a better picture of humanity than that, folks. Nothing. God had told Israel from the beginning, Genesis 12, Abraham, I will bless all the nations through you. All the nations. And Israel could not abide that. Israel had a mindset, folks, and I've told you this for years now, Us versus them. And in the Bible, there's no us versus them. In the Bible, it's us versus him. And the only way for you to get us uh, on, on, on that side of the equation with him is through the seed of the woman. Genesis chapter 3. It's the only way you get there. Paul, of course, was a rabbi. He understood all of, all of this. And so he said, regarding Israel, all day long I have opened my arms, but they've been disobedient and rebellious. You cannot separate, folks, hearing from doing. 
That's presuming on God's grace. You can't make your, but well, he'll forgive me. I can just do whatever. He'll forgive me. Chuck said he will always forgive me. True. Uh, and then, but you'll forget what else other stuff Chuck says. Uh, you know, he'll, oh, he'll always forgive me. Always forgive. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. But at what cost? And we love to talk about consequences. Oh, you know, if you sin, the consequences could be, you know, God, there will be consequences when you sin. Baloney. The scripture says you never get what you deserve. Never. Who got what you deserve? My goodness gracious, Christians. Who got what you deserve? Jesus Christ got what you want to know. Do you want to talk about consequences? There they are. In living color. Bright. Red. Living color. Blood. And Paul is wanting you and I to take an inner look. Look inside. For goodness sakes. This world is begging for a generation of Christians like this. And all they're getting is this pablum junk over there. I don't know what it is. I don't even recognize it. I don't think the apostles would recognize it. I know Jesus wouldn't recognize it. But in any denomination, any group of people who are humble and broken and on their knees before God and saying, I repent, I believe the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, my King, and I will follow you to the ends of the earth because of the consequences for my sin. Not out of guilt, but out of gratitude. How do you take that inner look? Listen, here's how you do it. He was oppressed, afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. You see, he could have self-justified. He could have said, I'm the righteous one, everybody else. I'm the one that did it. I, why am I suffering for them? He was silent. He was oppressed, afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that did a slaughter, like a sheep before its shears is silent. He opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. As far as this generation, who considered he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? Who even thought that was possible? Out of the anguish of his soul, He shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Many shall be made righteous. Many will be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Make that the center of your life. You put that every day. You focus on every moment of your day. You think about that and have that swirling around in your consciousness and bubbling up inside your heart. And there's nothing that He can ask you that you wouldn't run to do with all your might. Yes? That's pretty weak. Yes? I, I know it. I know we know ourselves. We know maybe not. But I'm hoping you will. 
Let 2023 be the year that you put the gospel, you stake it, you put the wooden stake in the heart of that vampire that's sucking you dry and put your trust in Jesus. Will you trust him? I hope you will. Father, uh, thank you for this uh, time together. Uh, Thank you for the gospel of your son. We know that the Nobody, nobody in our life has loved us like you have. No one. Not the closest relative we have, not the most lovely person we know. Only you and you alone have loved us in this way. As we come to your table, Lord, we see it in visual, we taste it sensually, we experience your love for us. Help us, save us, And have mercy on us, O God, according to your grace. Amen.